You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Arif. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. This is episode 14. I'm Jack, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Emilian. Hey, how's it going? Anthony. Happy to be here. And Arif. Good to be back. Now, on today's episode, we have the last of this four-episode series of our State of the Franchise series, and today we'll be going through the AFC North and South teams. Once again, we are all in four separate locations, so do forgive us if uh, for any technical difficulties throughout the podcast, but we're going to try our best. Before we kick off this uh, episode, we're going to um, start with our news statement, as we always do. And making news this week was uh, Delvin Cook and the Vikings, who are at an impasse in terms of contract talks. Discussions have now begun about the Vikings potentially franchise-taking Cook if a deal cannot be reached soon. Anthony, what would it mean if Minnesota lost Cook? I think if the Vikings were to lose Dalvin Cook, they'd definitely see a sharp decline, you know, in their placings in the, in the NFC North. I think he's the he definitely the go-to guy in terms of making players on their offense. For a start, they'd have absolutely no run game. You know, they'd rely on a second-year uh, player out of Alexander Madison, which just wouldn't get the job done. They would, yeah, they would they would not make the playoffs. I don't think if they were to lose him. Obviously, if they were to franchise tag him, it would be for uh, uh, the 2021 season if they cannot get a long-term deal sorted out by uh, the start of this season. Also making news was Alex Smith, the Washington quarterback who has been activated off the PUP list and has unbelievably been cleared for full contact. Emilian, with both with both Haskins and Smith on Washington's active roster, who should start in week one? I definitely think Dwayne Haskins should start week one. I don't think Alex Smith is ready per se. He has been he hasn't played an actual game in over a year, over almost two years. So I don't think he's ready yet. I think as the season goes on, he might get get into the motion back back in the swing of things, and he can guide Haskins as a mentor. Um, for to further the success of the team as the season goes on. In my opinion, Alex Smith, plain and simple, is the better quarterback. But Emilian, as you say, he's been out of the game for a long time and will need a fair bit of time to reacquaint himself with the team and the offense. So I would also start Haskins. However, I feel like there is a strong possibility if Smith were to stay healthy that he could overtake Haskins as the starter. Kenny Clark has re-signed with the Green Bay Packers for four years, $75 million, including a $25 million signing bonus. The deal makes Clark the highest paid nose tackle in NFL history. Arif, how important is it for Green Bay's defense that they were able to re-sign Clark? I think it's really key. I mean, he made his first Pro Bowl last season. He's really the anchor for that D-line that, doesn't really have much talent left apart from him. So I think it's a great move by them. He had an incredible season in 2019. He's been really consistent over his career as well. So it's definitely a good move for the organization. Do you think he's the best player on that Packers defense? It's hard to say. I think he's the best player 
on their defensive line, but not necessarily their defense. They have a lot of other talented players, such as Jair Alexander and Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. So he's definitely up there, but I'm not sure if he's the best on that defense. Finally, Ron Rivera has been diagnosed with lymph node cancer. However, the cancer has been described as curable, which is obviously good news for Rivera, his family, and the Washington football team. So we're going to go straight into our fourth State of the Franchise episode and kick it off with the AFC North and the Ravens. And our first question for Baltimore is, are they capable of making a deep playoff run, Anthony? I think they are capable of doing that. I think uh, Lamar Jackson definitely has a talent. The offense has definitely got enough firepower to, you know, take on the best in the league, especially in the AFC. I think over the last two seasons that the Rams have made the playoffs and hosted in Baltimore, first year Lamar was probably too inexperienced and just got dominated by a more veteran uh, quarterback. And in that last year's loss to the Titans, the defense just got dominated. But overall, if the if the both both sides of the football sorry, if both sides of the ball can produce evenly on the day, like the defense can match how the offense is playing. Like one isn't, you know, then the other part of the game down. They can really, you know, they can definitely win playoff games and go pretty far, you know, pretty deep in the playoffs. I reckon they can reach a Super Bowl this year, depending on their opponents. For me, I think they were capable of making a deep playoff run last year. It's just that the inexperience of Lamar Jackson really hurt the team as a whole. As soon as he threw that first pick, you know, the Titans, they just took over the game and they dominated uh, for all four quarters from there. But Lamar Jackson, he now has two playoff games under his belt. Uh, I'd be surprised if he's not able to win at least one this year. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he can't win in the playoffs. Whatever. He's played twice and he's 0-2. Peyton Manning was also 0-2. Uh, in the early stages of his career, and we know how he turned out. So I'm not saying Lamar Jackson is going to be as great as Peyton Manning in terms of career. I'm just saying that two games is nothing to uh, sample from. Yeah, I have no uh, concerns about Jackson's ability in the playoffs. Uh, I agree with you, Emilian. I also think that they are capable for, for a, a deep playoff run. They have one of the most complete rosters in this league. They are set on both offense and defense. I agree. I think third time's a charm for Lamar Jackson. I think they win a playoff game and at least make it to the AFC Championship. Hopefully their younger players learn from last season and are ready to play come playoff time. On to our next question for the Ravens, and that is what is their biggest weakness, Emilian? For me, their biggest uh, weakness is their aerial attack, but it is constantly improving. You've got young players all around. You've got Lamar Jackson, obviously. You've also got Miles Boykin, Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews. All these guys have very high ceilings, and it'll be. I think they'll develop together, and it'll be very good to see them operate in the future. As I said with the Chiefs last week, uh, their run game doesn't need to be great for the team to survive, uh, for the team to thrive, as long as the passing game holds up. That same can be said for the Ravens here with their running attack, how good it is now and how their passing attack doesn't really have to be elite for the team to succeed. I think their biggest weakness is by far inside linebacker. They lack depth at the position, and they did draft Patrick Queen and Amelie Harrison as their long-term solutions at the position. But at this point in time, they are pretty thin at the position and cannot rely on two first-round rookies to kind of carry the load. I agree with both of your points. But I think it's wide receiver. 
even though it's not completely necessary to have a deep wide receiving core for a run first team, their starting receivers as it stands is Hollywood Brown, Willie Sneed, and Miles Boykin. It certainly doesn't jump off the page as the deepest wide receiving core in the league. They've been looking at veterans such as Des Bryant to add to their core, so we'll see what happens. Riff, I completely disagree. There is nothing wrong with their current wide receiver core. They have one of the better up-and-coming receivers in the league in Brown, and Snead is a pretty capable slot receiver. Uh, sure, they can bring in one guy, but I don't think it's their biggest weakness at all. Sorry, Jack, just to kind of rebut your point there. If you put uh, the Ravens receiving core right now on a, a pass-first team, say like the Chiefs, would you say that the Chiefs receiving core would be great if it consists of Hollywood Brown, uh, Miles Boykin, and Willie Sneed. Yeah, but that's not applicable because they're two different offenses and uh, they aren't pass first in Baltimore. No, I, I know that, but I'm saying that, Arif saying that their weakness is receivers, and that is true because as a whole, their receivers aren't great, but they, they do well in that system because they're a run first team. Yeah, that, that's why I'm saying it's not their biggest weakness. I think if you look at linebacker for the Ravens, I mean, could you name their starting linebacker? Patrick Queen. So you think he's going to start straight away yep. and that the depth there is another rookie in Malik Harrison. You wouldn't have any concerns about two rookies carrying that load for the entire season, no veteran help. I'd be more concerned about opposing teams figuring out the Ravens' run defense early on and them and then the Ravens having to rely more on the pass tack, and if it's not there, that's when they'll be in trouble. On the move out to the Steelers, and our first question for them is, are they capable of winning the AFC North? Yeah, I think they definitely are capable of winning the AFC North. This question, I thought this question is more accurate of being, can they beat the Ravens? And I think if you look at their 2019 results against the Ravens, they got smashed in Week 17, but early on the season, that they went to overtime with, with, against the and just lost. And that was considering, you know, the playing with Rudolph at quarterback. I think with this big Ben returning and Juju will definitely benefit of having more consistent performance out of a veteran. And considering how well that defense has played in 2019, they definitely can match the Ravens and potentially win and take that AFC North title. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I do think they can win the AFC North, and a big part of that is whether or not they'll beat the Ravens in those two division games. Uh, Roethlisberger is back, and he's going to be healthy, I reckon. Juju Smith-Schuster, he's finally going to get a good quarterback thrown to him as a number one wide receiver. And as you mentioned, that defense is incredible. So it really does depend on those two division games against the Ravens. I don't see the Browns or the Bengals taking the division this year. It really is between the Steelers and the Ravens. I think they are capable, but it won't happen because the Ravens are too good. I don't think they'll be able to... Uh... Get have a better record than the Ravens, and I think the Ravens will win that division. I think the Steelers will be able to make the playoffs, but they will not do it by winning that division title. Second question for the Steelers, and that is, is their defense the real deal? And I think it is. Uh, you know, guys like Devin Bush are only going to continue to improve, and we all know how good TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick already are in that defensive scheme. They have contributors all over in that defense, and it's only going to get better. Yep, I agree with you. I think their defense as a whole was great last season. They were third in passing yards allowed per game and fifth in both total yards and points allowed per game. So they're already on the right track. They're already one of the best defenses in the league. And with such a young group of players, they're only going to get better. Their only weakness, I think, was the run defense, who was fairly average last season. 
but I think it's just it, it, it can only get better. I don't see it getting any worse. I agree. I think the only reason they went 8-8 eight and eight last season and not something much worse, like 5-11, was the fact that the defense was still really strong. They were still virtually in the playoff hunt until late in the season because of that defense. And pretty much all of their defensive starters are returning from last season, which is also a huge positive. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Ruth. Considering that they haven't lost anyone notable in the offseason, their defense should get back to exactly where they were in 2019, if not improve with better production from the offense. And as you mentioned in a million, those young players still coming through you know, on the defense, they there's no reason they'll drop off. I'm going to move now to the Cincinnati Bengals. And our first question for them is, will they succeed with Joe Burrow? Obviously, it's quite early to, uh, for us to judge on that. But Joe Burrow is definitely one of the most NFL-ready quarterbacks I've seen. Uh, he's got uh, maturity and, and he keeps his composure really well. It's something that's incredibly hard to teach. So for me, the only question regarding Joe Burrow's success in the first few years of his career is, can he play well with that offensive line? I agree. I think it's too early to tell now, obviously, since he hasn't had an NFL snap yet. But the way he played at LSU with those weapons around him makes me think he'll succeed in Cincinnati. In my opinion, they have some of the best wide receiver depth in the AFC and a top 10 running back as well. So hopefully he should find some success early in his career. Big call there, Ruth. Willing Joe Mixon top 10 running back? Yeah, I believe he is, honestly. He didn't have the best yeah. offensive line, and he still managed to get over a 1,000 yards, so I think he's up there. I think they will be able to succeed with Joe Burrow. However, it will be in time. It'll take a few seasons for him to get accustomed to their offensive scheme and his new teammates. I'm not sure if AJ Green will be around, though, for much longer. I do think that he may leave Cincinnati, and so that wide receiver depth you did allude to may take a hit, but... Tyler Boyd and John Ross are perfectly capable wide receivers who should be able to help him out. I agree with you, Jack. I reckon it will take a few seasons for him to get used to the NFL, used to the system, and start producing, especially in the NS- sorry, the AFC North, where you got defenses like Baltimore, the Steelers, and you know, players like Miles Garrett on the Browns. I think it'd be really hard for him to you know, gel into the NFL against those really good offenses in, in his net division. Our next question for Cincinnati is how long until they're back in the playoffs? And I think I'm going to say three seasons. As I mentioned, Joe Burrow needs time and the roster will undergo more transformation before they become playoff contenders again. And there I'm alluding to what I said about AJ Green because I feel like um, some of those receivers will get, uh, you know, some will come, some will go and there will be more transformation. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think two to three years is probably a good estimate. Uh, Byron Ben Roethlisberger, all of the teams in the AFC North are very young and are built for the future. So it'll be very tough for the Bengals to overcome them and maybe potentially win that division in a few years' time. It'll be very hard for them to win and it'll be very hard for them to get a playoff spot as well. It's a very tough division that's built for the future, as I said. And the Bengals will need time to develop Joe Burrow and build a better team around him. I did like Anthony's point about the defenses that the Bengals and Burrow are going to come up against because they are pretty daunting, especially Ravens and Steelers. And even the Browns are starting to build a pretty formidable defense. So I feel like that is definitely a hurdle that they're going to have to overcome and it, it will take some time. Why don't we move now to Cleveland? And our first question for them is, mm-hmm. is Baker Mayfield a franchise quarterback or roof? I think this is a year when we'll 
find out if he is or not. I think he can be. Some of his movement in the pocket that we saw in his rookie season especially was great to watch. But I don't think he has many excuses left. Um, the Browns GM has built their offense really well. He has amazing weapons on his offense, including Chubb, Landry, and OBJ. So he has to make it happen. This is a really difficult question, I think. Uh, given that he's been in the league for you know a couple of seasons already, and he, he has proven that he can be a franchise quarterback for the Browns. And I know there's a lot of like history with a lot of like busts out of the Browns selecting quarterbacks. But I really think this is this season he will prove that he can be a franchise quarterback for the future. Uh, he has had problems with coaches. He had problems with Hugh Jackson uh, in his rookie season and Freddie Kitchens last year, obviously. Um, but, Ariff, you did mention that this is a make-or-break year for him. I think that's true for the Browns, but I wouldn't be surprised if another team picked him up if he were to be released by the Browns in the future. I think at this exact point in time, he is not a franchise quarterback. However, a good season in 2020 could change that. However... Like I said, Emilian, uh, hopefully a change of coach will benefit his play. But a bit of him having issues with his previous coaches is on him. It, it, it does raise questions about his personality and the kind of locker room guy he is if he's always clashing with his coaches. So I feel like if he doesn't have a good relationship with Stefanski, then his play might reflect that. And that might have a pretty bad domino effect for his you know career in Cleveland. On to our second question for the Browns and following up on Stefanski, can Kevin Stefanski bring them back to the playoffs? He certainly has the pieces there to make it happen, as I mentioned in my previous answer. I think one of the biggest issues for the Browns in the past has been play calling, and Stefanski was quite good at that in Minnesota. However, the AFC North will be extremely competitive now, so I can't really I can't wait to see what happens. Who makes the playoffs and who doesn't in that division? I don't think he can bring them to the playoffs this season because I think the Steelers and the Ravens are just a better team than the Browns. But if they do get like an 8-8 eight and eight record or a 9-7 record, if they show improvement from last season, I think it's definitely a big step in the right direction for the franchise and it shows that uh, Stefanski is definitely capable of bringing this team to the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you, Million. It'd be too hard this season for them to expect to make the playoffs given the division they're in. Uh, I think at this point, like, I understand, Ariff, how you said that the play calling has been an issue of re- in recent years for the Browns. I understand that Kevin Stefanski would relieve some of that, those issues. Just I feel like whether or not they can make the playoffs is, I think it's, it's more, uh, there's more of a, I think it's more of the actual players that need to step up rather than, Kevin Stefanski doing something that can actually improve the roster. I think the natural improvement of Cleveland's roster will be what carries them to the postseason if they're good enough to make it. They do have good difference makers on uh, in on, on that roster. And so I feel like this is a season where it might come together for them. I'm not willing to say that they will make the playoffs, but I feel like they definitely will be up there with um, their fellow AFC North um, teams in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Now, that wraps up the AFC North, so we're going to go straight into the AFC South and kick it off with Jacksonville, and our first question of them is, are they the worst franchise in the NFL? And personally, they've probably got the worst roster in the league, but the title of worst franchise probably still belongs to the Washington football team. 
due to their culture issues and the issues with their management? I've thought about this question for quite a while. And for me, I feel like they are the worst franchise in the NFL. And I don't, I don't think that Washington are the worst franchise in the NFL. Just, I believe that just they're one of the youngest franchises in the NFL. Most people know that. And considering they've only been in the, in the league for a little over 20 years and haven't had a lot a, a consistent you know, run at success for, for a couple of seasons. It's been up and down, predominantly down, and they haven't got, they haven't, have, have, haven't established a large fan base yet. I think considering how young they are, how little success they have and how much fans they have, I just think, I think that would make, would prove that they are the worst franchise in the NFL, whereas Washington sure has the success they had I in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Jack here. I think that, they don't. They have one of the weakest rosters in the NFL. I think they are the worst franchise in the AFC. But as Jack said, the Washington football team is the worst franchise in the NFL. And I think that really points to the... It's above the players, in a sense, when we talk about franchise. So their management and culture has a lot of issues that they need to fix in order for them to not be the worst franchise in the league. Yeah, I agree with both of you, uh, Arif and Jack. I do think that the Washington management and the culture is definitely the worst in the league, and that definitely taints their image. But that being said, the Jaguars, they had the best season in franchise history back in 2017, one of the best teams in the league. They made the AFC Championship, and since then it's been straight downhill, and I don't think they're, they're moving towards a better future at the moment compared to Washington, where they're slowly building all the right pieces together, I think that Washington is definitely headed in the right direction, whereas the Jaguars, I can't really say anything that's going good for them, especially Len Fournette, arguably their best player. He's been, he's had issues with coaching and management and all that, so the Jags, I don't know, I think that I, I do agree with Anthony's point about their fan base being so small and their uh, smaller inclusion, their later inclusion in the league, I think they are the worst franchise in the league, and that's solely because of where they're heading in the in the future. I agree, Emilian. I feel like that those two teams that we talk about are trending in opposite directions. And one of those moves that Washington made to kind of, you know, trend them in a better direction was the hiring of uh, Coach Ron Rivera. He's a really good cultural leader. He was in Carolina, and I feel like he's going to bring that same leadership to Washington. And so that was definitely a step in the right direction. And the next step for them is obviously fixing management. But we are talking about Jacksonville, and I feel like Jacksonville, like you say, are trending towards... Um, being a worse franchise than Washington, which isn't great for them. On to our next question for the Jaguars, and that is, is Gardner Minshew a franchise quarterback? I think right now he doesn't need to be a franchise quarterback at the moment. I think they've got a lot more holes on the roster to fill, and Minshew is doing just fine with what he's given. He showed signs of being a franchise quarterback, but he didn't impress too much. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in his second year as a starter in the league and what the Jags are going to prioritize in the upcoming uh, few years in terms of drafting and signing free agents. I completely agree with that, Emilian. I think that he played really well at the beginning of the season, kind of faded off as the season progressed. I'm not sure you draft a quarterback in the sixth round and expect them to be that franchise quarterback for you. I think that like you said, there's a lot of other holes on the roster that need to be filled, and he doesn't necessarily need to be that franchise quarterback right now. 
Riff, I don't think they were expecting him to be a franchise quarterback when they drafted him, but the way that he, like the path that he's taken so far with Nick Foles leaving and him taking over that starting spot, I feel like he's now in a position where he can be judged on whether he is or isn't a franchise quarterback. Um, because, you know, as you say, taking a, a quarterback in a sixth round, it's not suggesting anything about him being the future of the franchise because, frankly, I don't think they thought that he was. At this current point in time, I don't think he is the franchise quarterback of the Jaguars. However, I do think there's plenty of time for him to develop into that guy. And I feel like he does have some pretty nice traits, uh, including, you know, scrambling out of the pocket and making pretty incre- incredible plays, as we've seen. So he does have potential. But at this current point in time, like Baker Mayfield, I don't think he is a franchise quarterback. On moving out to the Texans, and our first question for them is, how long does Bill O'Brien have left? I reckon that this may be his last year as the head coach for the Texans. I think uh, he's really, like, to say under, he's underperformed would be a massive understatement. The Texans have had great talent uh, on their roster for a number of years, especially the past two seasons under Deshaun Watson. And I think that if the Texans do regress this season from last year, Bill O'Brien's not going to be there any longer. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Emilian. I just want to add, obviously, in the offseason, the Texans traded away DeAndre Hopkins that a trade, a very controversial controversial trade. I think as a fan base, the Texans would be absolutely infuriated with what Bill O'Brien did to get rid of uh, DeAndre Hopkins for not much at all. So I think with the pressure that he has on at the moment for his job and to deliver, especially given the trade that they made, I think it's realistic to say that he has one year left to perform, to get them to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs, otherwise he's gone. Yeah, I think patience is wearing thin with O'Brien. Uh, I think if they miss the playoffs this season, he'll be gone at the end of the year. If yeah, I agree. And just following on from Anthony's point, it hasn't just been the DeAndre Hopkins trade. If we remember the previous season, he gave away Jadavion Clowney to the Seahawks for not much in return mm-hmm. as well. So if they don't make the playoffs, I reckon he's done in Houston or at least as a head coach. Just have a question for you guys. Do you guys reckon that even if the Texans make the wildcard round and they lose in the wildcard round, do you think Bill O'Brien will lose his job? I reckon it's up to maybe not him as a play call, but I reckon it's up to what kind of moves he makes in that mid or that's during the season. Because as a coach, if you make the playoffs, I I highly doubt he'll actually get fired. But if he makes it stupid mid-season trade as he's been doing in recent times i reckon he's gone no i disagree with you Riff. i think regardless of what he does mid-season in terms of trades if they get back to the playoffs and lose a wild card game like they've been around that same level for a couple of seasons now if they continue putting out the same you know getting to the same spot in the playoffs and not getting past a wild card or winning a divisional game if they're to lose, go go one and out in the wildcard round. There's a hundred percent chance he loses his job. Yeah, I agree with you, Anthony. Um, I feel like if they go to the playoffs and lose in the first round, he's definitely gone. Yeah, Riff. I feel like there's no scenario in which if he goes to the playoffs and loses, he survives the next season. And next question for the Texans is: Can they go back to the playoffs this year? I think they definitely can, but it's going to be very tough. I've said in previous episodes that the FC South is definitely going to be one of the most competitive divisions as to who wins the division title. I think the Titans, Texans, and Colts are all on the same level. 
And none of these teams are elite, so it's not like there's one clear winner and the rest are going to just battle for a wildcard spot like you would see in the AFC West. So the Colts, uh, sorry, the Texans, it's a big challenge, but I think Deshaun Watson is definitely the best quarterback in that division and he's developing into one of the best quarterbacks in the league, so they can definitely get it done. I agree a million. I think they're certainly capable of making the playoffs, but the AFC South is crowded with talent, as you mentioned, and I believe they'll be fighting for that seventh wildcard spot, which may be difficult to obtain with other divisions, such as the AFC North and West on the rise with you know those teams like the Chargers, Broncos, and Browns. I believe that despite these questionable off-season decisions that we've alluded to, they definitely have the ability to go back to the postseason. Um, I feel like as long as they have Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt do that. And uh, among those, what we would consider poor decisions during the off-season, they did make some decent acquisitions. And I feel like Devin Johnson and Brandon Cooks will make an impact for the team and contribute to a possible playoff run. Onto the Titans now, and our first question for them is, was last season's playoff run a fluke? And I think, obviously, it was unexpected, but it wasn't a fluke. Uh, with Henry signed long-term and their strong defense and that Bayard Butler secondary intact, I feel like there's a definite chance for them to go back to the playoffs and make a reasonably deep run. I think their defensive line lacks depth now that Joel Casey is gone, but I still expect them to be able to compensate for that with um, their strength at other positions. And I still expect them to return to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you, Jack. I agree 100%. I think, as mentioned last year, they definitely overachieved, but it wasn't a fluke. They have a ton of talent, a ton of young talent as well in that team. And the offense running through Derrick Henry, he signed in long term now. And AJ Brown now, the main man, for the in uh, for Ryan Tannehill, he's only going to get better. So they're a strong. They're going to be a strong team this year, and they're a lot of their young players are going to continue to develop. I do agree that the defensive line is now a question mark with Drell Casey being gone, but I'm sure they'll be just fine. Yeah, Jack, I like the point you raised about you know them them signing Derek Henry to a long term deal. I think obviously during that playoff run they made last year, that was really the vocal point of their whole push on offense. I think. The best thing they could have done the offseason was signed to a long-term deal. And having done that, I think a lot, the whole fan base and the whole locker room, there'll be a lot of belief that they can replicate what they did in the offseason in 2019. So I think whether or not they can make um, you know, a, a, strong player, a stronger player push next season, get to the Super Bowl potentially, I think all the pieces are there. And like on defense, they're equally as strong. On offense, if Ryan Tannehill can continue to uh, produce at the same levels he did in, in that um, playoff push last season, there's no reason why they can't they can get back to the playoffs and continue playing like they did at the end of the season. I agree. In last season's playoff run, they really stuck to their strengths, which was their run game and heavily relied on that. So I, I definitely don't think it was a fluke. It's kind of similar to how the Niners made it through to the Super Bowl in that championship game. And as you mentioned, Jack, they had a very strong defense as well. I reckon they can definitely make a run through the playoffs again if they make it through their competitive division. On to our second question for the Titans, and that is, is Ryan Tannehill the long-term answer at quarterback? I think he definitely is long-term answer for the next uh, five years at least. I'd say he's 32, so he's still got quite a few years left in his uh, best years of his career so far, I'd say. 
I think he fits perfectly into the Titans scheme and they won't look for a replacement anytime soon because if it isn't broke, they won't fix it. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Neil. I like I like how you said if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's exactly the kind of mentality they'll have going into the season and into the future. There's just no reason why they would need to draft a quarterback in a, in, you know in the first or second round in, in any uh, any upcoming seasons at all. Like Ryan Tannehill proved his worth in the off season, sorry, in the postseason last year, and for him to produce how he did, I think the, there's no reason why he can't be there long term for at least as you said, five years or so, because he is 32 years of age. I also believe he can be, at least for the remainder of his contract. The Titans gave him a huge four-year extension with $62 million guaranteed, so they'd certainly think he is the long-term answer. You definitely don't throw that kind of money around if you don't want him to be the guy. I like what you said, Emilian, about how he fits the scheme. He had the highest passer rating under pressure in the NFL, which goes a long way to being a successful quarterback in the National Football League. I feel like uh, it depends on the definition of long-term. He's only 32, so if last season wasn't a fluke, then I don't see why he can't be there for the foreseeable future. However, Anthony, I feel like it's a bit premature to say that he has proved his worth already. I mean, he's only been there for, well, he's only properly started for, you know, um, a fair portion of one season, so there is a chance that he regresses next year and I would be looking out for that before I can confidently say that he is the definite future of this team. I also do want to mention that we have mentioned before that the Titans' weakness in past years has been that they don't have a true number one receiver and I think that AJ Brown's development over the next few years is definitely going to make him uh, an elite talent and I think Ryan Tannehill is going to benefit from that. I think he's definitely going to target him the most out of all the receivers without doubt. And it's going to be good Ryan, that Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to be an elite quarterback for the offense to run well. Onto the Colts now. And our first question for them is, what is their ceiling this season? For me, uh, with, with the Colts acquiring Philip Rivers in the offseason, I think the ceiling is probably, I can at best, the AFC Championship game. For me, I think... They've been around the wild card division kind of spot for the last couple of seasons. And I think with the roster they have, the players they have and the talent they have on all sides of the ball, I think, especially with the quarterback, with the veteran presence, and they haven't had that for a few seasons, they, could, they can definitely put the pieces together and get close to football. But I don't think they have the firepower or, you know, to, to take down the Chiefs or the Ravens in the AFC. Yeah, I agree with you, Anthony. I think the AFC Championship is their ceiling this season. I think last year they definitely suffered from poor quarterback play in Jacoby Brissett. And we saw what they were capable of the season before where they still had Andrew Luck and they had that great defense, great offensive line. They, ma they made it to the divisional round. So I think they'll be able to get to that round again this year. Regarding beating the Chiefs and Ravens as the top teams in the AFC, I think they'll be able to upset one of them in the divisional round as we saw the Titans did last year against the Ravens. But I don't think they'll be able to do it twice if they have to face both the Ravens and the Chiefs or whoever the best teams in the AFC are uh, in two subsequent rounds. So, yeah, AFC Championship, I'd say, is definitely their ceiling. Yeah, I also think the AFC Championship game is their ceiling this season. But in saying that, I don't necessarily think that they will reach that feat. I don't think they can overcome a team like Kansas City or Baltimore in the playoffs. I disagree, Emilian. I don't think they can beat either of those teams um, but I feel like if they're playing well enough 
at that point in the season that their ceiling is the AFC Championship game. I want to ask you guys something. This isn't really too directly like related to the Colts, but it's just a general question. Do you guys think that um, the potentially having no fans or limited fans in stadiums come playoffs in in January, do you reckon that will affect, um, especially the Colts, in taking down like a a powerful team like Kansas City or Baltimore? I definitely think for the Chiefs, it's going to be very good for the Colts if there are limited fans because Arrowhead Stadium is definitely one of the hardest places to play in the NFL. The fans there, loudest in the NFL. And it just, it brings an atmosphere. We saw in the AFC Championship, no, sorry, the divisional round last year against the Texans, how quickly the Chiefs were able to get some momentum. And I think a large part of that was because of the crowd there and the atmosphere that uh, the stadium brings for opposing teams as well as the Chiefs. So if the Colts are to beat... The Chiefs at Arrowhead, it's definitely going to help if there are no little to no fans there. I agree with that point, Emilian, about the Chiefs. However, Anthony, I feel like if Indianapolis were to secure a home playoff game, it really wouldn't matter that much. I don't think their fans are like, I don't think I consider them to be, you know, overly loud. I, I don't think that they create like a really, really um, tough atmosphere as compared to teams like, you know, the Chiefs and Broncos. Um, but yeah, definitely if a team was to play in Kansas City, it would be nice if, well, for, for their sake, if there were little to no fans in the stadium. I have a question for you guys, kind of related to the whole ceiling, but if we flip that on its head, what do you think, if everything seemed to go wrong, what do you think their their lowest point could be, the Colts? I think it'd be like last season, Arif, where they'd, miss a playoffs by a game or two. However, uh, I, th- yeah, I feel like that is their flaw. However, I just don't see it happening. I think securing a reliable quarterback in Philip Rivers is exactly what the Colts really needed to truly contend. Jacoby Brissett was not doing it. Um, and I feel like Philip Rivers, with that really nice offensive line, he will have a pretty decent season. And I feel like he will be able to take them somewhat deep into the playoffs. And so I can't see them missing the playoffs this season. Yeah, Jack, I just want to... I do agree with the point that I don't see them missing the playoffs, but I think their flaw, as you would say, is definitely a 5-11, 6-10 record. If Philip Rivers isn't able to get back to his form that he was in 2018, if he really does play like he did last year, and obviously a lot of that can be blamed on the offensive line, which has drastically changed for him. But if his age is really a factor now, and if he can't perform at a very high level, I think the Colts are just going to suffer as much as they did last season because of the poor QB play. Yeah, I disagree, Emilian. I feel like even um, uh, if they got Rivers of last season, he'd be a better option than what they had in Brissett last season. So I really can't see them going 5-11, even if the Rivers signing doesn't really pan out next season. Because with the defense that they have around them in Indianapolis, with the addition of DeForest Buckner, I just can't see them falling that low with such a good defense and, you know, T.Y. Hilton on offense. They've got a talented backfield. I, I just can't see it. They certainly did add a lot of talent that will, I think, carry them to the playoffs. Players with playoff experience. They brought in Xavier Rose, and although he didn't have the best season in Minnesota in 2019, he does bring a veteran presence, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, to the secondary that consists of really young players like Malik Hooker and Kenny Moore. So I think it's essential that they got these 
older players, and I reckon that will get them into the playoffs because surrounding those veterans, they really have a really young team in Indianapolis. Yeah, I agree, uh, Arif. They finished seven and nine last season with Preset, and so I feel like they can't finish worse than seven and nine with Rivers this season. I feel like the lowest they will finish uh, in terms of record would be eight and eight. Um, and the last question for this state of the franchise uh, series is: Who is the Colts' most valuable player? We've talked about before how important the Phillips Rivers signing was for the Colts, and because of that, I do think that he is their most valuable player by definition. I think he's exactly what they need right now to succeed. But if we were going to take the NFL's sort of take on the MVP award, it would be Darius Leonard for me on the Colts. I think he holds that defense together and he's just such a formidable force on the team. He's great in coverage too. And he's going to be even better with the addition of DeForest Buckner on that that defensive line. He's an additional threat. I also do want to mention an underrated aspect of the NFL in general is the offensive line and Quentin Nelson has had a huge impact on the team. As soon as he was drafted, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Colts became one of the best offensive lines in the league and he's just a pancake machine and I think that he's going to help the team for so many years to come. Yeah, I agree, Million. If you're talking strictly about value, um, Rivers is their most valuable player. If you take him away, they become a similar team to last season with Brissett. I feel like, as we mentioned, um, signing him is what they really need to contend this season. So he is, in my opinion, their most valuable player. As you said, if we're talking about the NFL's interpretation of the award, Darius Landers have to be the guy that I'd uh, say is their MVP. Um, another guy who's quite underrated, you know, kind of an honorable, honorable mention would be T.Y. Hilton. He's been a real stalwart of the franchise for a while. He's a great locker room presence and he's a really underrated receiver. So I feel like he's he'd be another contender for that award. I agree. I think Darius Leonard is the best player on this team, and I agree with the point you raised about value and how the NFL perceives their most valuable player. I reckon Darius Leonard is the best player on this defense. He's He had an insane rookie season where he had 163 tackles. He backed it up with an incredible 2019 campaign. In his 13 games, he had five interceptions, so... And he's already become a captain in his second season in the NFL. That's that's pretty unheard of. It just shows the kind of character he shows and the leadership on the field. I just want to make a point. Um, with Philip Rivers, I totally agree that he's the most valuable player for the Colts. But he's so obviously he started um, his um, career in the NFL in 2003. So he's been there obviously for a while and is definitely a veteran. How how, how long do you guys think he will be in the league for? Like taking out like he's. He's been there for he's been a, he's been there for over you know, seventeen years. So how how much longer do you reckon he'll be in the NFL on the Colts list? I think it's solely dependent on how successful the Colts are with him as the quarterback. I think it's a similar situation to Brady, where in the last few years of your career, you're really just playing because you love the sport. It's not all about um, getting the money and all that. So I think if he's gonna lose like he did with the Chargers last season. He's not going to enjoy the game anymore, and he's definitely going to want to step away from the game if he can't succeed with the Colts. I disagree slightly there, Emilian. I feel like this isn't a Brady situation. I don't think this is a uh, kind of last stop, kind of enjoy the last few years of your career kind of thing. I feel like Rivers went to Indianapolis to win a title, um, and I do agree with your point that if it doesn't work out, this is his last stop in the league. 
Um, I feel like he probably could play next season. Um, I, yeah, I feel like he could play in 2021 as well, but it depends on how they go this season. Just another point on Philip Rivers. So some of the older quarterbacks in the league, so Philip Rivers at 38, Tom Brady at 43, Ben Roethlisberger at 38, and Drew Brees at 41, they're obviously in that elite class. So Philip Rivers coming over from the Chargers to the Colts, being in that elite group, elite group of quarterbacks, I think it will really prove that he is definitely the most valuable player on that team, given just all the experience he's had. Sorry, Anthony, I disagree with your point about Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers being on the same level as Drew Brees and Tom Brady. I think those two are on another level to them. I think it shows because Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers haven't really done much in terms of career accolades compared to Brady and Brees. So I do agree that Philip Rivers is definitely on the level of Ben Roethlisberger, definitely not Brady and Brees. But I do like your point about, you know, the older guys at the top of the game. I agree, guys. I think if he doesn't find what he's looking for when he came to Indianapolis, which was a championship, I reckon he'll retire while he's somewhat good of a player. We have to remember that the NFL players, they are people as well. He has a family to go home to, and he's getting up there in age, so he'll probably look forward to retirement. And that wraps up our fourth episode of this state of the franchise series we hope you enjoyed it if you haven't already follow us on instagram that is at touch.downerunder that is where you can find our podcast and non-podcast content we're also on twitter at the tdu podcast and we premiere our podcasts on facebook and youtube at touch Down under next week we'll be starting our season predictions and so we have some pretty fun content planned for you guys so make sure you keep an eye out for that We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next week.